Amen. As I was getting ready to prepare for the sermon, I heard the story uh, that I felt compelled to share with you uh, this morning. This uh, story that I'm sharing with you happened several years ago. I don't quite know what the time frame is. Uh, the person who was telling the story said that they heard the story when they were a child and they're in their 60s. So you can kind of do the time frame uh, for that. So this is how the story goes. There was a United Methodist pastor that was working at a church. Um, and uh, this pastor was doing a lot of good things. And uh, one of the things that uh, the church used to do is they had a food pantry. So and they would give food for those uh, who were facing food insecurity. Uh, and uh, this pastor was very active uh, in meeting those guests who walked through those doors and care for them and be present with them. And as the days went by, as the months went by, he started to have this really good relationship with this one family. It was a young family. It was a single uh, parent mom who was raising her young kids. And uh, he got to know them a little bit. Uh, and finally, he invited them to come to their church on a Sunday morning. And the mom said, yeah, sure, Pastor, I'll come. And, you know, and would never come. And this happened a couple of times. He would, on a Saturday, he would say, you ought to come and check us out, our church. It's, you know, it'll be good for you and the kids. And the mom would say yes and all that, give some lip service and nothing. <clears throat> so one day he pulled her aside and said, what's stopping you from coming to our church? Is there anything I can do? And the mom looked at him and says, we don't have the right clothes to come to your church. And the pastor said, all right, I can fix this. He goes the next month. He shows up there with a bag of clothes for the mom and the kids. Um, and he's excited to see them the next day. Next day comes. The mom's a no-show. No kids. And this pastor is a little irritated, a little angry, a little upset. And so he waits another one full month and goes back to that woman and says, you said you, were, you couldn't come because of clothes. I got you clothes. Why, why didn't you come to church? And she goes, Pastor, those clothes were so nice. We had to go to the Presbyterian church. We couldn't come to the, to the Methodist church. <laughs> right? Methodists don't dress that well. So. <laughs> so, right? Like, we used to, there was a time in our culture, in the recent past, that we could talk about wearing our Sunday best. Right? You all remember that? Right? Wearing Sunday best. Uh, as I was getting ready, kind of like thinking about that, I... I did dress code for church uh, on Google, um, and most of the churches actually have a, a paragraph. We don't have it on our website, but most of the churches kind of say, um, FAQ, what do you need to wear to our church? And 90% uh, of them, almost all of them, said whenever there was a question about dress code, the dress code is casual. Come as you are. Come to worship God. Don't worry about what you're wearing, Right? So anyway, so today's parable is all about a dress code. And I want to talk a little bit more about what that means for us. Because there was this one guy who got kicked out of a party for not wearing the right thing. And I want to get to that uh, dress code and what that means for us as we uh, look to the scriptures. Um, but first, I want to share a little bit about what uh, parables are all about. Jesus taught in parables uh, in uh, what Jesus was trying to do, especially in the Gospels, was Jesus was trying to tell a story. Jesus was trying to tell a simple story 
to explain what kingdom of God is like. He didn't want to use lofty theological terms, but he just wanted to break it down and explain to the common folk what the kingdom of God was all about. There are on several occasions, Jesus would say something like this in the Gospels. Kingdom of God is like this. A man found a pearl of great worth. So he went and he sold all that he had so that he can own this pearl of great value. Here, the point is, this man found something beautiful, something great, and he wanted to sacrifice everything that he had just so that he can hang on to this pearl of great value. The kingdom of God is of that great value that he was willing to let go of everything else. So that's what parables are all about. What parables are not is they are not historical events. These things that when we read as parables, those are not historical events that took place uh, when Jesus was telling the story. Parables are like a hyperbole, exaggerated statements. They can be taken literally for us. The reason for this is so that the listener understands that this is serious stuff. And the author, uh, Jesus especially, wants to get our attention when a parable is shared. And there is this element of surprise towards the end of a parable that totally catches you off guard. So that's what the parables are all about. And this morning we are looking at the parable of the wedding feast. In this parable, there are several characters that are there. There's a king, there's a son. But here is why we know this is a parable. Because there is no mention of the bride in this story. The entire time you read the whole story, there is no mention of the bride. I've officiated a lot of weddings uh, over a dozen or so years ago. And brides play a pretty important role. Wouldn't you agree? Right? Hence, this is not a real event. If this was a real event, there would be something about a bride uh, that is there. So, anyway. So, and then in this parable... No mention of the bride, but there are A-list, there's a guest list that is an A-list, there's a B-list, and then there's a B-list of guests. So here's what is taking place. The king would like to throw a party. The king would like to throw a party, and this banquet was going to be a special occasion. This was something that was absolutely amazing. There was a sense of extravagance that the king wanted to lavish at his son's wedding. And because it was such extravagance that the king was showing, he wanted to be very careful about those people that he invited. And one of the biggest stresses for any couple um, that I have counseled, um, that I have kind of walked with them as they were getting ready to get married is the guest list, right? There are so many passionate conversations come up when you talk about the guest list. Should we really invite your dad's friend that we haven't met in the past five years? Should we? The answer is yes, because the dad's paying for it. So just saying, right? Should we really invite your uncle who always shows up and causes all kinds of fights and drama? Should we, should we really call him? Should we be there, right? Guest lists are important. And for this king, he has a very good guest list. 
And he wants his servants to go and invite these people. So they go and they invite these people. And he's so proud of the party that he's about to throw that he is willing to share the menu with them. This is what we read um, in verse 4, reading from Matthew 22. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The invitation is simple. Come to the wedding feast. The menu that is being shared here is a good meal. The oxen and the fat calves have been slaughtered. All you got to do is just show up. This is a sense of extravagance that the king is showing. Because friends, when during this time to, to slaughter an oxen and a fat calves is... That means you have to feed them. You have to give it to the guests because they're no longer going to be working in the field. And the guests, they don't have to do anything. Just show up. Everything is ready. And here is the first response to what the king is saying. Verse 5, they paid no attention. They paid no attention to this extravagant, beautiful wedding feast that was prepared for them. They paid no attention. One of them went to his farm and the other to his business. The first round said, nah, I'm too busy. I can't come to this invitation. I know this is great, but I'm too busy. I I can't be part of it. They just ignored the invitation completely. When I read the people who ignored it because they were too busy doing other things, I'm reminded of this parable that Jesus shares, another story that Jesus shares about two sons uh, in Matthew chapter 21, right before what we read today. It's two sons who, who are having this conversation with their father. And one son, Jesus, uh, the The father asked one son to come and labor in his vineyard, to come and work for him. And this first son says, no, I'm too busy. I I can't come. I can't make it. And then eventually he goes and does it. And the second son says, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll be there. I'll be there. And never shows up because he's too busy doing other things. And the question that Jesus asked in that parable is, who's a better son? The guy who said he's not going to show up and yet showed up? Or the one who is too busy to come and work in the vineyard? All they needed to do is show up. And they said that they were too busy. They were too busy doing other things. I need to go take care of my business. I need to go take care of my barn here. I believe that Jesus is challenging the attitudes of the scribes and the Pharisees who miss the point of what it means to follow the living God. They were supposed to be at the feast, at the banquet that was prepared for them by God. And yet, they were busy doing other things. And they missed what it means to follow the living God. Friends, maybe this parable is challenging us to consider what it means for you and I to follow God. Are we too busy to celebrate and fellowship with our God? Hear the invitation. Everything is prepared. Come. Are you too busy? 
I'm not sure if this is the right way to apply this parable, but this is what I would like you like to offer and for you to consider this morning. The banquet that is spoken of here is about fellowship. Yes, the food is great and everything is great, but what makes it a good party is the people that you hang out with, is the people that you're with, the people that you spend time with. And that is the invitation here. In the Christian tradition, when we talk about fellowshipping with God, these are the three aspects that kind of raise to the top. One is personal devotion and reading scripture, meditating and praying and spending time with God. It's about specifically setting aside time to worship God together in the context of community. It is about serving together. Friends, my question to us is, are we too busy to skip the invitation that is before us? Are we too busy to read the Bible, to worship, to serve? Are we too busy like these individuals? So that's the A-list, and this is the B-list. This is the one, this is another set of individuals that were invited to the wedding, but they go a little extreme. In verse 6, we read, the rest, these are the rest of the guests that the servants went to speak to them. The rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Here, the guests uh, ill-treat the servants who were sent with the invitation some are treated shamefully and others are killed. And again, in the, going back to the previous chapter of Matthew 21, that kind of sets the stage for the wedding parable. Jesus tells another parable about the tenants. There was a landlord who gave his land uh, to a lease to a bunch of tenants, and they were supposed to grow grapes. It was a vineyard. And when the grapes were ready to be harvested, the the landlord wanted his share, so he sends his servants so that he could get his part. But when his servants show up, these tenants actually kill the servants. Then the landlord says to himself, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son so that they would respect my son and that they would listen to what my son has to say. So the son goes up, shows up in front of these tenants saying, hey, I'm here on my father's business. And the son gets killed. The tenants say, hey, this is the only heir that the landlord has. If we kill him, then this land will be ours. This theme of killing the servants and those who belong to the king are also echoed in the parable that we are reading today. We read this all through the Old Testament. There is this theme that we pick up. And also Jesus also talks about it. This is the theme from Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemy. Here again, when people, when prophets are sent to correct people of their behavior, they end up 
being killed. And Jesus also says something very similar in Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are, were not willing. Here, Jesus is saying that Jerusalem is a place that kills prophets. The fate of those who speak on behalf of the king, they are killed. This is what has taken place. And Jesus, in this parable, those servants who were sent to invite people to come and fellowship actually end up being killed. There are some biblical authors who, who read this passage and say, maybe Jesus was talking about what was to come in AD 70 when Jerusalem was under the siege of Rome and was burned down. But I don't, I'm not quick to make that historical connection because parables are not supposed to be something that happened in history. They were just stories that are told. So finally, we come to the last part of the parable. So the king is upset. He's angry. The first people were too busy to come. The second set of people that were invited ended up killing his servants. And he is angry and mad. And so he does something crazy. Verse 9, Therefore, go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Friends, do you understand the implication of this invitation? This is a huge socioeconomic barrier that got broken because the king was mad. Those who were living on the streets, those who were poor, those who were on the margins were unworthy to ever go to a banquet that was hosted by the king. And yet here, they're welcomed. They are welcomed by the king. And they are fellowshipping with the king. And they are eating the best food that the land has to offer. For many of them, it was the first time they would have eaten that good. Come to the wedding feast. Everything is prepared. Come to the table and fellowship. And these people who are unworthy were there. Those who were poor, those on the street, everyone showed up. The halls, the wedding hall was filled and you can hear the energy and the excitement in that room. But then something happens. Remember, I told you the whole point of a parable is it takes you by surprise. All of a sudden you said, wait, what happened? That's exactly what happens here. But when the king came in to look at his guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. This poor guy was speechless. Then the king said to his servants or his attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, this is a surprise element. The king walks in and all these people are there. And there's this one guy. There's this one guy without a proper wedding garment and he is thrown out. He's thrown out 
into the outer darkness. The king sent his servants to those who are on the A-list and the B-list. And finally, those that show up are the ones off the street. And this guy is thrown out. There's no mention as you read this story about what the dress code was supposed to be. And yet, this guy gets thrown out. What I'm struggling with as I read this story this morning is, who do I blame for the consequences of the guy that got thrown out? Who's, whose fault is it? Should I be mad at the king because he's so ungracious? The king walks in. He was the one who told, go, bring people off the street. And he's so ungracious and punishes the guy. It seems excessive to me. And yet, I'm not sure we can conclude that the king is at fault. Second, should we blame the servants? See, when the servants went out and said, come to those poor people who are living on the streets, they didn't say anything about a dress code. They just said, come. And the bad and the good, everyone came in. Should we blame the servants for not saying, hey, by the way, remember, you got to dress nice for this. Or should we hold the individual accountable? As I said earlier, this is a parable. That means a lot is taken for granted. The people who are invited from the streets were invited to the king's banquet. This means the individuals were queen, keenly aware of their king. They knew what was important to the king. They knew how the king liked people to live. When you say you are my king, you are saying I am willing to live by the rules that you have set. These individuals were aware of that. For a minute, let us consider this. The Gospel of Matthew starts out with this story. The Gospel of Matthew starts out with a bunch of wise men who came to Jerusalem asking, we are here to worship the king of the Jews. And later, Jesus comes on to the scene in Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching the people what the standards are for us to do if we were to consider him to be our king. What we need to do, how we need to live our lives. In those sections of Matthew 5, over and over again, you will hear this statement you have heard it said, but I say unto you. The standard that Jesus sets for his followers is much higher. The Pharisees and the priests and the teachers of the law, they focused on actions. But Jesus said, actions are important, but your motives are important as well. They need to be pure and clean. If you have lust in your heart, you have sinned, is what Jesus taught us. If you have anger in your heart, You've committed, adult, uh, you've committed murder. What we think about others matters. 
Here is the standard that Jesus set out for us. It comes to us from Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Our righteousness needs to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. Friends, the morn this morning... In this parable, the shock is the individual is being kicked out of the banquet is alarming. This person did not dress accordingly and was condemned to the outer darkness where there is gnashing of teeth. They are removed from the presence of God. I think the question that we need to consider asking ourselves is this. Was this individual wearing what Jesus commanded him to wear. We're all invited. Yes, the invitation is there, and yet we are called to wear the commands of Jesus. How does your wardrobe look like? Does it look like what Jesus is asking you to wear? Finally, the parable ends with this statement, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is a call from Jesus that all are welcome to the fellowship, to the banquet. All are welcome to enter into his presence. The rich, the poor, the man who owned the barn, the man who owned his own business, those who were living on the street, all are welcome. But few are chosen. And this morning, I want us to ask who's making the choice. Yes, Jesus is inviting all of us to come. And some chose to miss the point and be busy with their barn and their business. Some chose to be blatantly against the king. And some chose not to wear what Jesus commanded us to wear. Friends, this morning I want to invite the band to come forward as we wait on these questions together, as we reflect on these questions. Are you choosing busyness over fellowship? Are you choosing blatantly to walk away from being with the king? Are you not wearing what is required by the king. Friends, I want to take about 30 seconds to spend in the quiet wondering and thinking about these questions that I am posing. Are you choosing busyness over fellowship? Are you blatantly walking away from being in God's presence? Are you wearing what is required by the king? Let us pause for a moment of reflection.